Our friends, our text to us today comes from Matthew chapter 16, and I forget what I wrote in the bulletin. 13 to 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you from my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you for today. God, thank you for the music. Thank you for these people. God, thank you for uh, a chaotic stream of gratitude. God, I thank you for all that we are grateful for and all that perhaps we weren't able to name this morning. God, I ask that whatever words we would hear this morning would come from you and not from me. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so I lived in Colorado for four and a half years-ish, and I was a youth pastor out there. And, um, one of the things they did, that church did for staff, was that when you came in, you had elders that you were assigned to as prayer partners. And I got uh, this prayer partner, and I'm going to call him Ted for this story. Okay? And Ted um, came up to me the Sunday after I was appointed to be his prayer partner, and he told me what the session had decided. He told me he was really excited, and he said, but look, I don't do what other prayer partners do. I can't, I can't meet you for coffee. I can't meet you for lunch because I just can't sit still enough, and it's just, it's a little too much for me. But if you want to be, we can go for a walk, we can go for a hike, or if you like to play golf, we can go golfing. I was like, okay. I didn't really play a whole lot of golf, but I thought, I'll meet this guy for golf. Uh, come to find out, Fred had been retired for a number of years, and all he did was golf. <laughs> that was it. So we never really took a hike. We never did anything. I just met Fred on the golf course when I needed some prayer or I needed some advice or whatever it was, and he would go and, and golf. Well, there was uh, there was one day that uh, I met I met him, and um, he started telling me stories. You know, I was kind of just asking questions about, hey, what's life like as you get older? I'm just trying to glean some wisdom, and sometimes it's hard in those relationships. You don't. You don't quite know what to say, you know, especially when you're dealing with different generations. So I just asked him to tell me some stories. He told me the story one time. I want to share with you this morning. And I, I've heard him preach on this. I've heard him talk about it before, so I, I don't think he'd mind me telling you. But Ted said that um, he, he had gotten wrong teaching his two kids. 
first two kids had a drive. So he had, he had three kids. His two older ones, he told me, he was like, I, I just sort of messed it up. And he didn't give me details on it, but Ted sort of said, you know, hey, like, I, I just, I know I didn't do it right. So when I got to my third son, he said, I really wanted to nail this. I wanted to teach him to drive the right way, in a way that didn't ruin my relationship with my children. And, um, <laughs> I said, oh, okay. And I, I could see, you know, Ted had a lot of energy. Ted couldn't sit still. I mean, you know people like this in your life. They can't sit still. They never stop talking. They're always on to something else. And their opinions just sort of flow from them freely all the time. And they don't mean to offend you, but, you know, sometimes things come out. This is the kind of person Fred is. So, you know, excuse me, Ted. I'm giving away his idea. He's called, he's called Fred. Fred's great. Fred, if you're watching, I love you. Thank you for this story <laughs> and for all those free rounds of golf. <laughs> um, so, so Fred, Fred's just highly energetic. He is uh, always talking, always going, and uh, not the best person to teach uh, driving, especially in Colorado. So he gets to his third son, and then we'll call his third son John. Um, John uh, was a little more shy, but also kind of like said what he needed to say and told Fred. I don't want you to teach me to drive. Because I watched what you did to the other two siblings and I'm not having any of this. And, and it became a real like struggle in the family because you know John had to get to a bunch of practices, you know, he needed to drive himself and they were tired of doing it, he refused to learn. And I don't know what the situation was where Fred had to teach uh, and, and you know his wife couldn't. I, I don't know what was going on there, but Fred was going to teach, probably because he believed it was his duty. So uh, they're, they're at this impasse, and they can't figure it out. And finally, uh, Fred's wife suggests that they go to counseling. So they do six sessions of counseling. And what the counselor comes up with is this sort of adventure that they're going to go on. They're going to rent an all-wheel drive vehicle, and they're going to drive all day through Colorado. They're going to go over some big mountain passes. I don't know which ones they were. I know they went over Red Mountain Pass, and they may have gone over a couple others that are in that area. Western Colorado, but they're scary drivers. They're gonna, they're gonna get this, and the counselor's gonna sit, passenger, John is going to drive the car, and Fred is gonna sit in the back seat. And Fred is not going to open his mouth. <laughs> the entire time, unless he has a question for his son that is relational, something that connects. So what are your interests, what are your hobbies? Tell me about this, what do you remember about grandma, grandpa, you know, anything like that. But he cannot comment on the road, he cannot comment on the driving, he cannot ask questions about destination, he cannot say anything. And Fred agrees to do this. And so they get everything set up, they rent the car that they're going to have, they map out their route, they're going to go through it, and the day comes and Fred <laughs> goes to his son John, and he hands him the keys, gets in the back seat, he puts his seatbelt on, and off they go. I think we've, we've all been in a situation where we have to hand something over at some point, right? Have you ever passed the baton in your life? Did that make any of you uncomfortable when you did that? <laughs> some, some of us that like a little more control than maybe. It's hard, it would be hard to pass that on. You know, Sarah and I are going through this right now. If you asked me how I was doing before the service, I probably told you I was fine. 
which is, you know, kind of true, but I'm also very nervous uh, because tomorrow we drop our daughter off for preschool for the first time. Thank <laughs> you. Also, let's just take a moment to pray for us because right <laughs> it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to, even though we've been in the school, even though we've, we've met the teachers, even though we've been with the parents, it is really hard. Um, and I haven't even done it. It's, it's going to be hard to walk away. Some of you have done that. Some of you have walked away from other things. It could be a volunteer opportunity. It could be a big project at work that you're in charge of. It could be a business that you want. It could be any number of things. It's hard to let it go, I think, because you don't know how the next person is going to hold it. You don't know how they're going to treat it. You don't know if they're going to do it the same way that you did it. And so it's hard for us to pass those things off. It's hard to trust. Amen. I'm still learning. So we're at the we're in the middle of Jesus' ministry here in Matthew 16. And Jesus is sort of at the height of his powers, you might say. Um, he's been doing a lot of healings. He has been, he just fed the 5,000 a couple chapters ago, chapter 14, I think. Um, he's going to feed like 4,000 more people in Matthew's uh, version. He's He's got sick people following him because he's offering that healing. He's given this amazing teaching. He's performing all of these miracles. Um, he just he walked on water, uh, I think, in chapter 15. He, he is doing all of the things that the disciples hoped he would do. And they are thinking he might actually be the one. He might be the one that's come to save the people. And they would be thinking that along with a lot of their peers because at this time... Jewish people, the Israelites, are oppressed by Rome. Everyone's oppressed by Rome, but them especially. And they've been looking for a kind of savior. And actually, it's not uncommon that these saviors would pop up around this time. I mean, we, uh, we often call Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. And that's not just because we like saying where he's from. It's actually because there are a lot of different Messiah-like characters, prophets, teachers that were popping up at the time, who uh, some were called Jesus. So you, you have Jesus of this region, Jesus of this region, and the one that we are talking about is Jesus of Nazareth. The one the disciples have decided to follow is Jesus of Nazareth. And this Jesus of Nazareth turns out to be maybe a little bit more of the real deal than some of these other prophets that are running around. And so as they're on their way to this next destination, and they're going to do some teaching, some healing, continued ministry, they stop in Caesarea Philippi. They're having a little break. And as they're talking amongst themselves, Jesus kind of cuts in and he asks this question. Who do the others say that I am? Who are all these people saying that I am? And a few of them speak up right away and they say, well, some people say you're like Elijah. Some people say you're sort of like John the Baptist reincarnate, you know, because you were baptized by John the Baptist, and so Sort of like him, or you're like Elijah, you're just one of the prophets. Another teacher among all the teachers, but I mean, they're kind of putting some respect on his name because they're saying, No, you're like Elijah, you're like the memorable prophets, you're the ones that have a certain kind of power. And then Jesus turns the question, He says, Yeah, yeah, yeah but who do you, his closest followers, who do you say? 
just a little bit of silence. I think everyone's kind of thinking the same thing. They all want to say it, and no one wants to say it, and eventually Peter says it, because Peter is the bold one, the courageous one, the impulsive one, you might say. He says, why, my Lord? You're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. You're the one who was chosen to lead the people into the promised land. And this is actually a death sentence uh, at, at the time, to, to speak that Jesus is Messiah. And that might be a little dramatic saying that, but I, I really don't think so. Um, you know, at the time, if you were to challenge the authority of Rome, Rome could use um, what I heard professors call a monopoly of violence. They had a monopoly on violence, so they can choose to use violence however they want. And the way they would do it is to keep down any of these insurrections, these rebellions that would pop up. This is actually happening a lot with the Jewish people at the time. These messiahs would raise up, they would form a little coup, and they would try to take power away. They would try to storm the capital, you might say. And it wasn't working, because Rome had a really big army. And so anytime there was word of another king, another messiah, another leader popping up, if Rome caught wind of it and it seemed to be a big enough threat, they would do away with the leader. And so to call Jesus the Messiah at this time in his ministry, that's pretty much a death sentence. If anyone else catches wind of that, it's not going to be good for Jesus. And as we know from the story in, doesn't go very well with Jesus. And so no one says anything after Peter says this. And Jesus, you know, you might expect him to be a little bit offended. It's like, hey, don't say that. Don't put my business out there. Don't not out loud, Peter. But he doesn't. He kind of laughs it off. He says, you're right. You're right. And Peter, you are the rock upon which I'm going to build my church. He's really saying it's Peter's confession, the one who confesses that Jesus is Lord, not the one who confesses that Caesar is Lord. But upon that person that confesses Jesus, Jesus is going to build his church, and he says, and to you, Peter, I'm giving the keys to the kingdom. So whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Giving him authority. And he's doing it the height of his ministry. At a time when everyone's sort of expecting him to call down the angel armies, get everyone together that he can, and go and take over. But he's not. He's passing off his responsibility. And not in a bad way, I don't mean he's sloughing off. I mean, he knows what's going to happen. He knows the road he's got to walk down. He's accepted it. And at a time when you might expect him to be rallying, at a time when you want him to concentrate power, he's giving it all away. And he's doing so, I think, as an example to these other disciples as an example to all of us that are still listening today. You know, Fred, when he was in the car, um, 
He said he was a nervous wreck for the first like 30 minutes of that drive. Uh, and they hadn't even gotten to a mountain pass. They were just on a straight road that was leading toward the mountain. And Fred said he was a nervous wreck. He's freaking out because the sun's going over the speed limit and he's not using his turn signal. And he's, he's passing when Fred doesn't think he should pass and all these things. And he's, he says he's just about to lose his mind because he can't say anything and he can't do anything. And then all of a sudden, he fell asleep. Because <laughs> he got bored. <laughs> And I think he probably stressed him out, stressed himself out so much that he just he conked out. He says he woke up somewhere over a mountain pass and he was kind of groggy and he looked around and then he fell asleep again. <laughs> and he spent most of the day in the car, just sleeping. And when I talked to his son John about it, John said that he had been excited about the trip until the keys were handed to him. He had been excited to go. He's, he gets to drive this big Jeep. He gets to go over these mountain passes. He gets to do all of these things that first-time drivers rarely ever get to do. And it wasn't until he held the keys that he started shaking a little bit because he knew that he was going to have to take on some of the responsibility and some of the angst that his father had been carrying. He was responsible for getting over these mountain passes. Couldn't stop. He wasn't going to hand Fred the keys. You know, he... He was committed as well. But he said when he looked back in the rearview mirror and he saw that his father was sleeping, he felt love. He said he felt his father's love in a way that he hadn't felt it before. And there are no words being spoken. There's nothing other than Fred passed out probably open mouth in the backseat. Still, you know, probably dreaming about you know, all the stress that he's undergoing. But he felt the trust. And they made it over the mountain passes. I'm sure they had a few hiccups, but there was nothing major. They made it, and they were fine. I don't think they drive together a lot still, you know, because Fred still likes to have quite a bit of control on things, but they got through it. And I think for Fred's part, he did the thing that he needed to do to correct his relationship with his last child that he taught to drive. I, I can't speak to the other two. I know they love him. But. You know, I think we all are in seasons in life. And some of those seasons, there are seasons where we're taking the keys that we've been handed, the ones that we've been holding on to, and we're handing them off to other people. And part of that handing off can be really, really difficult, can it? Because maybe they don't do it the way Maybe they don't meet as often as we'd like them to meet when they're committing chair. Maybe, you know, they are not producing the reports the way that we always produce the reports. And the reason that we produce the reports that way is because of blah, 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 blah. Maybe we just don't like the way they talk. Maybe we don't like that they're not assertive enough. Maybe we don't like the things about blah, blah, blah. We find reasons to not hand those keys off, but I think on the other side, too, those of us receiving the keys, it can be difficult. I think we don't always know what we're getting into. I think we don't always see the things that we don't, what, what, what's the saying, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know, right? You don't see what you don't see. And sometimes it can be difficult to receive those keys and hold on to them. And you feel like you're doing a good job, too. 
I think no matter where we are in life, whether we're picking up keys or whether we're in the process of passing them on, I think we just need to be mindful of the relationships that we have as we're passing those keys, as we're receiving them. And we need to be mindful, too, that we serve a God who came down, picked up the keys, held them for a little bit, and then passed them on to us. And we're called to emulate that. We're not called to take them and hold on to them and clutch them forever and not share them with anybody. We're not called just to kick them around like it's hot potato. Hug hold of them as long as you can. And when the Spirit speaks to you, it's time to pick them up. Or it's time to pick them up. So my prayer for us this morning is that we would know what season we're in. Are we in a season of picking them up? holding them softly or passing them on. Let's pray. Good morning, God. Thank you for this time. God, I pray that you would send your spirit.